0: The future is a work in progress. And if we want to create the kind of future that society and the planet deserve, why not start today with ourselves? I'm Nati Kasambala and this is Superself. In this series, I'll be taking you on a feel-good journey discovering the kinds of things that we can do to help us become the most super version of ourselves, both inside and out. From how we move and nourish ourselves, to how we find our purpose and connect with something bigger, I'll be speaking to people from the worlds of food, fitness, spirituality and beyond about their amazing work and stories so far as well as the best ways we can all feel good, well into the future. In this episode, I'll be looking at the importance of finding our purpose, and how being passionate about what we do with our lives can contribute to an overall sense of well-being. To do this,
1: I'll be speaking to Sharma reed Hey, hey
0: to nice to meet you, Sharma. How are you? Good.
1: Hi, my name is Sharma reed and I'm the founder of The Stack World, the stack world is a platform that allows any woman to start her own community you can create events browse profiles and chat and essentially start a group around anything from mental health and meditation to walking to cooking to philosophy to book clubs anything you like Today, we are in Clerkenwell in London in the Stackworld HQ, which is a very beautiful, purpley, pinky, peachy office.
0: Okay, so I guess let's start with a pretty simple one or, you know, a general one. How important do you think a sense of purpose is when it comes to how we feel about ourselves?
1: I feel like a sense of purpose is everything. Whenever I am not having a good time in life or when my mental health is low or I feel confused or overwhelmed, it almost always boils down to forgetting what my purpose is. So I definitely spend a lot of time doing documents and spreadsheets and lists and meeting people who help remind me what my purpose is. And how would you
0: define purpose if you had to?
1: Some people feel like purposes have to be really lofty, like mine is pretty lofty, actually, so you <laughs> don't know what I'm talking about. My purpose is to increase the GDP of the women's economy. I feel like women's economic participation is incredibly important to gender equality. To me, it's probably the only thing, but there are all these things underneath that stop economic participation. So that is my purpose, and that... It's probably what I'll be doing until the day I die. But also purpose could just be living intentionally. It could be living authentically. Your purpose could be to make one person smile every day, you know? The act of doing that every day is gonna make you feel better. (laughs) So I think, I would say it's probably what is that thing that keeps your optimum self, where you're being of service, where you're living and moving through the world, Intentionally,
0: I think a lot of the time when we talk about purpose, we talk about discovering it and kind of finding it as well. Um, and I wondered if you had any thoughts on your own journey to kind of finding your purpose, but also how people can, can kind of uncover that for themselves.
1: I have taken a very, very long time actually to find my purpose. And sometimes there is this belief that we should know at 23 what our life's purpose is, which is actually crazy. I'm 37 now and it's only at 37 that I'm like, oh, okay, I think I get what my purpose is. And I also, the second layer of the purpose is the actions you need to take to execute on it. To add a little colour to that, I always thought community building for women was a marketing exercise for my core business. As in, I'm selling something and I need to build a community to sell it. And what I realise now is the community is the product and actually I'm a professional community builder (laughs) and I have done that since I was 13 years old. I've always, you know, it's very Gemini of me, I'm always organising things, starting things, hosting things. I'm always like, let's create a club, you know, or a committee or there's always someone in your group who's always organising stuff, you know, that would be me. And I feel like... One of the reasons it took me so long is because I never retrospectively looked back at what worked. My friend Tiwa Lola, she's an amazing life coach. She does this regular session, which is tracking your wins. I don't track my wins, which means that I didn't really see the things that had huge traction and success. So, for example, with my nail salon, Wah Nails, the nails as a product was incredible like we did the best nails and the girls still do but really people were coming for the vibe and they're coming for the community and coming for the the fact that they knew that if they walked into that salon they would meet like-minded women and meeting like-minded women is what we did very very well we obviously did the nails incredibly well but the nails come and go the feeling lasts forever so I would say, like, to help find your purpose, just kind of look back at the times that you've been really successful. It might have been that you invited everyone over to your house for a barbecue, and actually the food was terrible, but you were a sick DJ. You played the best music ever, and maybe your purpose isn't about barbecuing, maybe it's about DJing, (laughs) you know? So look back at the things that worked for you, the things that made you feel good, the things that made other people feel good, and then you kind of drill down on what your purpose might be.
0: I think that's a really important aspect of, like, it's almost, it's not necessarily always natural to kind of do that, almost like informal performance review on projects or like I left this job for this reason but like what did I love about it how can I move that forward mm. but that's super interesting and I guess I was also intrigued to hear your thoughts on whether you think that your purpose is always aligned with what you do for a living even.
1: I think my living is my purpose I've definitely made a life and a work out of it but I do have other ways of executing that purpose that I'd will probably pursue in my later years so if my purpose is to increase women's economic power I could do that through a startup I could do that through writing books I could do that through designing policies I could do that through having a restaurant I could do any execution of that purpose so rather than think about is my you know work reflecting my purpose I kind of think What is the best way to execute on that purpose with the tools and the capabilities I have today? And, you know, you'll find that people who are working against their purpose don't really enjoy their work. And if they just keep doing it for a long time, it makes them ill. (laughs) It makes them stressed. It makes them physically ill. You know, the body keeps the score. My advice would always be to find work that aligns with your purpose and if for whatever reason you know you might be doing a service related role like my favorite job ever that I've ever had was a waitress when I was a teenager I loved it and I loved it because I liked serving people and my purpose in that was just to always make you know the customers felt seen and heard and get their orders right and give them a little cheeky smile and make them laugh and You know, you might be doing something that is just service related, but when I was 16, I was still living intentionally and I think that's key. And you just inch closer and closer and closer to it. You shouldn't necessarily think, oh, because I'm not, doing it right now I'm never going to do it you know what's really funny right I say this to people all the time which is like if that you know average lifespan right now in the west is like 70 80 90 years old you don't find your thing until you're 60 you still got a good 20 years of doing it like it's a long time (laughs) Like it's a hell of a long time so this rush that we have right now is something that I think needs to kind of just go away because the world we live in today you're bombarded with images of everything everyone like smashing it you know I can't go on LinkedIn depresses me I'm like oh my god everyone's doing better than me depresses you yeah I'm just like everyone's everyone's out here smashing it I can't like look at this what am I doing well I'm not doing enough but everyone's on their own path and own journey so if it takes you 50 years to find your purpose it takes you 50 years that's just what it is but the key thing is that You know, every day you're doing like a tiny, tiny little bit to figure out what that is. And it might be that you just need to stand still for a bit and let it come to you. I always think about a compass is like you can't find north if you're waving the compass around wildly, right? You have to put the compass down and watch it get slower and slower and slower until it shows you where north is. So sometimes you just have to be still. But I do believe that everyone has it within them the timeline is irrelevant, and how you define it is irrelevant, as long as you're living intentionally every day.
0: We talked a little bit about young Sharma, but what else were you up to when you were growing up? What was what was interesting you as a teenager?
1: <laughs> Everything. <laughs> I must have been such an annoying child because I really popped out of the womb like this. My earliest memory, I must have been three, was going to nursery. And I remember going to nursery being like, this is nice. And I remember seeing these two twin boys and sitting between them being like, you two are my mates now. And then I remember going into the playground. It's really funny, because I went back to this climbing frame a couple of years ago and it's so small, but when I was little, it seemed so huge. I remember climbing to the top of it and singing, I'm the king of the castle and you're the dirty rascal. But I was even at three, I wanted to be on top. You know, I was really lucky in that we had cable from a very young age. So I was really influenced by American TV you know, chat shows. I'll be watching Oprah and Jerry Springer. And if you think about America, it was so much more shiny and bigger and dramatic. This is like in the 80s and 90s that I had this influence of what was possible through the American dream and the export of the American dream. So, you know, when I was, I think maybe nine or 10, I wrote two school plays that people performed in. I also starred in school plays. I loved it. I was just always in the library, reading, and then I'd always be social, trying things out. I got locked into, in fact, I don't actually remember this memory. My cousin told me the other day that school had closed and I hadn't come home and everyone was, like, looking all around the area, like, where's Sharmadim, where's Sharmadim? And I was in the school library. I was reading and I didn't realise the time, and they'd locked the school and locked me in there. Everyone was panicking, like, where am I? And that basically sums me up.
0: Did you have any career plans at that point? What did you kind of see yourself becoming?
1: When I was little, again, this is totally from American TV, I wanted to be a lawyer because of (laughs) LA Law. And you know, all those, there were so many courtroom dramas. I was like, I want to be a lawyer. (laughs) And then, you know, actually, I didn't just want to be a lawyer. I wanted to be a lawyer for children, which was really weird. I think children, you know, I've got an 11-year-old son now, very highly empathetic, sensitive people. I remember wanting to be a lawyer for children who were being abused by their parents. And it was like, you know, not my experience, but it was more like... I wanted to represent the underdog. And then as I got older, I was heavily into fashion. And from around 12, I knew I wanted to go to Central St. Martins and be a stylist. So from 12 to 18, I ordered the prospectus every year for the course that I wanted to do. And then when I was 19, I did it. I'm a big believer in like preparation and research. So from 12 to 18, I was reading Vogue cover to cover every single month. I would use my pocket money and my waitressing money to buy magazines and I wouldn't let myself skip a page. I would force myself to read every single page because I'd be like, there's something on that page I'm going to learn. I wish I had the time to do that now because I'd be a fountain of knowledge. The problem was is that by the time I got to uni, I knew a lot of stuff and then the course was not as challenging as I wanted it to be. So then I worked the whole way while doing my degree as well as waitress and working in the pub, I also worked for a couple of stylists, which really catapulted me in the industry really early on. But because I'd done all of that groundwork, it meant that the launch was easy. So I think there's a lot of like information gathering that people can do to actualise their purpose and their dreams. The social media addiction right now, which I'm just as bad at, is like every time you're scrolling, you're not actually building knowledge. You're getting information, but not knowledge. And, you know, the acquisition of knowledge is going to be more and more precious as everyone can be an instant expert with Google. So do the deep work. Even if it's just one hour a day or one hour a week, but like, what can I do with this hour to increase the knowledge and the fields that I want to be in to make me a true expert? Because then you'll be indispensable.
0: Could you tell us a bit more about war Nails and the kind of inspiration for that part of your, your journey?
1: I just wanted a nail salon to get my nails done for free. That was it. <laughs> I literally, I want stuff, and if I spend a lot of money on things, I'll think I should not be wasting my money, I should build it myself. And that's ultimately what it is, like... I was spending a lot of money getting my nails done. I was like, I can have a salon. But just because of the way my mind works, I created an entire brand and entity around this salon. And I ended up never getting my nails done because I was too busy running the business. (laughs) But it's the same with the stack world. It's like, I want a place where I can create and find community. I'm spending a lot of time on social media, I'm spending time on rented platforms and spending time on platforms that are productizing me and making money out of me and my usage and my engagement. And I don't see any money from that, right? And let's say, God forbid, something happened to me, you know, your income immediately stops because you're not, you know, posting, doing influencer stuff or whatever. I was like, how can I create a product that allows me to build meaningful communities because that's what I need right now. Wa was an incredible data gathering business. So I started when I was 24. I understood how to create a consumer-facing product, which I'd never done before. I'd only ever done consulting before. But also I've had have employed probably over a hundred women there and then we had thousands come through our doors. So try and put yourself in the position of a, a business that has one hour FaceTime with a customer while holding their hand. Like you learn the most intimate conversation like what's going on in someone's life, you really learn it in an nail salon. So I've realized through talking to these thousands of women over the last decade, like what their needs are, what's holding them back, what their confidence issues are, what their childcare issues are, their economic issues. So I just kept feeling like I wanted to do more than paint their nails. And the big problem in salons is that if you work in beauty and you do it out of college, let's say 21, 22, and you do nails for 10 years, it's very difficult to increase your income because a manicure is a manicure, a manicure is around 25 pound or 12 pound, or it's never gonna double in price, but living costs double. Obviously you're older, you don't still wanna be earning the same amount of money. So I found it very difficult as an employer to truly like live my beliefs around women and economic empowerment when I know full well I can't pay a 40-year-old nail artist any more than I could pay a 21-year-old, because that's the way the economic model works. So I kept thinking with Beauty Stack, like how can I build a product that allows them to essentially replicate what I've done with WAR for their own businesses? So the idea was that they could run their businesses on Beauty Stack and take 90% of the money because we took a 10% cut instead of me paying them an hourly wage. And two of our most successful nail artists, Anushka and Kadima Nuka Nails, they still use Beautystat now and earn all their money. They're earning way more money than they were earning when I was paying them an hourly rate in the salon. So that was kind of the first impetus, which was like, I don't essentially like being a boss where I couldn't pay a fair salary. The economic model of a salon doesn't work at scale for me. And what can I do to empower the nail artist to run their own business? Then, as I launched Beauty Stack, the pandemic hit and no one could do beauty. For 14 months, beauty services were, in effect, not operating at full capacity. And 14 months in startup land might as well be a lifetime. So I was like, we're going to die. So I thought, well, what can we do? And is this looking back again, like, what does the customer actually need? What I realised was, is that it wasn't just the beauty professionals, the entrepreneurs we were talking to, It was actually their clients as well. We did a workshop in the pandemic called How to Diversify Your Income in 2021. It was incredibly popular. I was surprised that a lot of the people weren't actually beauty pros on the call. They were coming from all kinds of industries. In January 2021, I told the team, look, I think we need to pivot membership app for all women everywhere and we launched it on March the 8th 2021 and in the last year we've grown to like 4,000 paying members we've had worked with some incredible businesses with partnerships including Selfridges and it's just been incredible to see this thing of well the community building is the business actually (laughs) like that's what it is and that's what people want but you know when I think about this life's work and this purpose of economically powering women you know starts off with beauty stack it moves to the stat world who knows what it's going to be next but everything I do falls under that and the thing about that mission and that purpose of creating economic power is I have the data to truly understand how you do that as in People might be surprised that we do a Monday session on self-development, which covers everything from trauma, strategies for relationships, philosophy, you know. But the thing is, is how can you expect a woman to grow their business when they're still dealing with confidence issues? You know, we'll do a class on domestic violence with Women's Aid, the charity. And the reason we do that is the same thing. How can you, if, if one in three women have been harassed, how can you expect a woman to truly grow her financial capabilities if she's dealing with the trauma of violence at home or in the workplace. So as a women's community, I don't think it's all about, oh, here's how to fundraise, here's how to write a business plan, da-da-da-da. It's about all of the holistic things you need to help a woman grow, you know? And it's not just a one-size-fits-all approach. It's like creating 360-degree content, that helps her at all levels that pushes her to the next milestone in her journey
0: so true I think like we don't talk enough about how yeah like I know we talk about work-life balance but you know like all of those things feed completely into your professional self as well especially if you're freelance especially if that especially if you're
1: black yeah do you know what I mean Mm. even just dealing with that like I am othered all the time so you know it can't it can't just be like a a women's networking product it's not really what i'm interested in
0: i guess on the topic of how you know your life can impact your work i wanted to ask a bit more about when you feel stuck when you feel kind of stagnant or frustrated in your in your purpose do you have any particular practices or activities that you turn to to get you get yourself back on track
1: yeah i have a file called sos which is a reminder of all of the things that I need to do when I'm at like breaking point. So the first one is meditation. So I practice in transcendental meditation every day. Then it's nature. So I have to walk around a big open space like Hyde Park or Hampstead Heath because in Wolverhampton, there's a lot of open space. You can really see the land and horizon, but you can't see it in London. Then I tend to play all the music I listened to when I was 16, the time before pressure and work and university, and all of that stuff. So that tends to be a combination of UK Garage meets S Club 7. (laughs) And then, you know, if you're sad, just play S Club 7, Reach for the Stars, (laughs) because trust me, you'll be happy by the end of it. But thinking about whatever you listen to at 16 and making a playlist of the songs between 13 and 16 is one of my best life hacks. Then I have a list of friends I can call who are more cheerleaders, nurturers and champions rather than anyone who's going to challenge me or push me further because sometimes you just need to be held. And then I will read a few books that have held me in good stead. So there's one chapter in Ray Dalio's book about pain and reflection equals progress. I'll listen to that on audiobook. I'll listen to Sam Harris's Waking Up Meditation. He's got one called Solving Problems which is really funny because it basically says, do you really want a world in which there are no problems to solve? Mm. And I'm like, no. (laughs) So I have a full list.
0: I'm a person who likes lists, and when you are talking about spreadsheets earlier, I was like, absolutely, but I think I need to get involved in that too because when you get bogged down, you can start to forget the things that you reach for that Mm. bring you joy. And especially that 13 to 16... Your old hack, that is like the inner child. Exactly. (laughs) Feed her. Nurturing your inner child is key. So talking about new challenges, you've obviously had a career where you've kind of continued to take on and like pivot and I guess become flexible and adaptable in your environments. How do you usually tend to prepare yourself for new challenges?
1: Very badly, (laughs) actually. Whenever I'm thinking or experiencing a new challenge, it's the most painful process for me mm. I can only liken it to this is what I have to visualize because I'm a really visual person I think of when that caterpillar is going to become a butterfly and that bit in the cocoon when they're squirming around but they're trapped and it's like oh I need to get my wings out but this is painful and then essentially like they're wriggling out of it mm. and when I'm having a really tough time I think do you know what I'm just wiggling out of the chrysalis or whatever it's called, the wrapper, butterfly (laughs) wrapper, because that wiggling causes the friction and the friction is painful and change is painful. And I have to revert to all of those SOS tactics that I mentioned, because I think that every new challenge really propels you out of your comfort zone. And you just have to remember that there's bigger things out there for you. Like, I'm always like, the universe is testing me right now. But It's up to me if I want to pass or not. Yeah. And
0: I think it can feel hard as well. I feel totally the same. I find it really hard to be, like, I always call myself like a newborn at Mm. something. Um, It is. It's
1: a rebirth. mm. I'm going to start my own family crest because I am the originator of my new line, right? And I kept thinking, what is the symbol and what is the Latin inscription I'm going to have on this signet ring I want to make? And I'm like, do you know what it is? It's a pine cone and it's regeneration or rebirth because pine cones are ancient symbols of enlightenment, of renewal, you know, something that is resilient, lasts. I've got a pine cone collection that is like 10 years old. You know, this idea of regeneratio or rebirth, it's like the thing that I will always do is rebirth. I'll always come with something fresh, something new and keep putting content out there for the world to experience so this painful process like you said this birthing it's it is painful you know what I mean coming through that canal or the chrysalis or whatever it is is a real shock to the system but then when you out you take your first breath you cry and then you're all cuddled up and everything's fine
0: So we saw that one of your favourite quotes was by...
1: Arthur Schopenhauer, it's very long,
0: yeah. I literally had to take a screenshot of the Zoc because I was like, this is such a great way of looking at life and how you can kind of add to things that already exist. Could you just unpack it a little bit for us?
1: Yeah, so the quote is, Thus the task is not so much to see what no one has seen yet... But to think what nobody has thought about that which everybody sees by Arthur Schopenhauer he's kind of a miserable philosopher but the reason I like this quote is because we're all presented with the same information right we're, we've all got technically if you think about it the same tools the same tech the same color palette it's finite the same fonts they're all finite but it's how what are you seeing that no one else is seeing and I think that is the key skill and I think that's a skill that I've cultivated that I've got, which is I could be reading the exact same book as you, but my interpretation is completely different. You know, someone was talking yesterday about information first, then knowledge, then wisdom. And it's like information is presented to us. Knowledge is us consuming it on a deeper level and wisdom is really what you do with it, how it sits with you, etc. And I think like the more I can cultivate my wisdom, the better
0: that's so true and I think sometimes people you almost feel a pressure to have wisdom first or just to be creating and innovating from something that has never existed rather than like Having a fresh perspective on what is out there, if that makes sense.
1: Yeah, I'm totally not like a innovator. What I do is apply existing models to new audiences. Like now salons have been around for ages, but I just made one for cool girls. That is literally that simple, that basic. And then the application of making it look more like an art gallery or a nightclub than a salon. I just took existing designs and overlaid them in a new way to a new audience. And it's similar with the stack. There is nothing new about community building. And I'm drawing on knowledge of incredible, amazing existing communities. All I'm doing is presenting it in a different way. I'm presenting it in a platform way rather than a content way. So a platform where people can build their own communities on top of it. And instead of just talking about entrepreneurship or just female founders or just working moms or whatever it is, I'm opening it up for all women of all life cycles, of all experiences. And I think, like, for me, there's nothing new about what I'm doing, you know. It's just I see the world a bit differently because I've had a slightly different experience to everyone else. And
0: what advice would you give to young women who are looking to follow in footsteps like
1: yours? Don't follow in my footsteps. (laughs) Make your own. (laughs) Walk your own path. I think that I did a lot of reading on like famous people on how they created their careers, but I was always adamant of like, does this work for me? Does this not work for me? And all anyone ever wants you to be is yourself, really. So you, you can't possibly follow in my footsteps because did you go raving? Did you live in a small town? Did you grow up a single mom, Do you know, with a single parent? Are you Jamaican? Which adds another layer of like how I see the world. There are all these different things that are my unique experience that can't be replicated. Um and your challenge is to find out what is unique to you that is going to give you the competitive advantage.
0: This Super Self podcast series is part of Selfridges' exploration into innovative well-being and self-care practices that aim to make us feel good both inside and out. Tune in each week for more thought-provoking discussions and practical tips, and head to Selfridges.com for lots more ways to discover your super self, with enriching stories, uplifting playlists, life-enhancing events, and mood-boosting experiences is a Radio Wolfgang production and featured Sharmadine Reed. The producers were Ivor Manley and Cass Denton. The executive producer was Ellie DiMartino.